Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. You might go to the BibleCrossfire.com website if you want to say, send me an email to ask a question or listen to old programs or request uh, a one a free one hour phone Bible study uh, or request to get on a correspondence course. You can study through the internet or through email or through uh Learn the Bible at your own time. Anyway, that website is BibleCrossfire.com if you want to go do any of those things. Uh, in the meantime, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you want to go on the air right now, the lines are wide open. 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk about Religious people who needed to make a change. In today's environment, it's like if you're religious, if you claim you're a Christian, then you must be okay because you're religious. But there's all kinds of examples in the Bible, in the New Testament even, of religious people who were not right with God. They needed to make a change. And the reason for that is because John 8.32 says only the truth will make us free from sin. We all know that, but we just completely ignore it. We think in religion, two plus two can equal four and five at the same time. Six and eight. All of those answers are right to the question, what's two plus two? Because we, evidently we think that because all of these different churches out here teach different things. And we say, but they're all right. As if two plus two equals four. Two plus two also equals five. Two plus two also equals eight. It equals ten. People can say all those answers and they're all right. In religion, not in mathematics. It doesn't work that way in the real world, only in religion. Remember what Jesus said, you are my disciples indeed if you continue in my word, John 8, 31. So those folks who claim to be religious, those churches, denominations that aren't continuing in Jesus' word and they're not following the truth, they're not going to be set free from sin because Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free from sin, not false doctrine. Let's look at some examples of people in the Bible who were religious, but they needed to make a change. A classic example is Saul of Tarsus. Now, he later became known as Paul, wrote practically half the books in the New Testament. But before he became a Christian, he was a zealous Jew persecuting Christians. Here, let me read Acts 26, verse 5 to introduce Saul to you. It says, which knew me from the beginning, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. No doubt Saul was religious. He is part of the straightest or the strictest sect of the Jewish religion, the Pharisees. Very religious. You know, a lot of the Pharisees were hypocritical. Jesus argued with them and debated them all the time. But I don't think Paul was that way. He was not hypocritical because we're going to find out when he's presented with the truth. He makes a change. Now, let's read further about Saul. Of Tarsus. Acts 9, 1 through 2 says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, that if he found any of this way, whether they were, a, were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Just what I said. Saul is so dedicated in his religion, his Jewish religion, so zealous, he thinks Christianity is a false religion. This new Christianity religion is false. So he persecutes them. Puts them in jail. Kills some of them. 
Paul, Saul, very religious, very zealous in his religion. Acts 23.1 says, and Paul said, men and brethren, I have lived in, a, lived in all good conscience before God until this day. You might think, well, Saul knew he was doing wrong. No, he didn't. He thought he was bidding God's will. He thought he was doing God's will by persecuting Christians. This says he lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Saul's referring back to these days when he persecuted Christians because he really thought that he was part of the true religion and that he should persecute this false religion, Christianity. Now, we've established that Saul was very, very religious, very zealous in his religion, not hypocritical. He was doing what he thought he what was right. But was he saved just because he was religious? Just because he was sincere? Acts twenty two sixteen. here's what Ananias told him. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So he was still in his sins. He wasn't saved. He hadn't been saved by the blood of Christ. He needed to be baptized as a believer in Christ to get his sins washed away by the blood of Christ. So even though he was very religious, very zealous in his religion, very conscientious, very sincere in his religion because that religion wasn't following the truth. He was wrong and he needed to be saved. He's a good example of a religious person in the New Testament that needed to change. Now, why bring this up? Because I believe there's a lot of people out there in the listening audience, this listening audience, that might be religious. You probably are religious or you wouldn't be listening to Family Talk Channel 131 probably are religious, but you might need to make a change because the church or denomination that you're in is not following the truth. Let me give you another example of that. Cornelius. Let me read from Acts 10, 1 through 6 about Cornelius. But before I do, the number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is, and you'll go right on the air, 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Here's Acts 10, 1 through 6, talking about Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, Joppa and call for one Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now here's a man. Let me repeat some of the words that describe this man Cornelius at that time. He's devout. He fears God. He gives much alms to the people. That's talking about charitable deeds. He prays to God always. Sounds like to me, I would think most people today, almost every person today would think, well, he's a saved man. He's very religious. He's devout. He fears God. He, he does charitable works. He prays to God always. Isn't that somebody that's saved? I mean, he's very religious. He's sincere in his religion. He's doing what he thinks is right. Doesn't that describe a lot of people who are religious today, say in America, in Canada? A lot of people who are part of some denominational church. They're devout. They fear God. They do charitable deeds. They pray to God a lot. Doesn't that describe them? Was Cornelius saved, though? 
No. He said, you call for Peter, he'll tell you, tell you what you ought to do. Now we read Acts 11, 13 and 14. It says, he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa and call for Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. So as devout as Cornelius was, as much as he feared God, as much as he prayed, as much as he helped other folks, he still needed to do something to be saved. He needed to obey the gospel. I fear there's a lot of people out that that may be listening tonight. They may be devout in their religion. They may fear God. They may pray to God a lot. But they're like Cornelius. They've never obeyed the truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Not false religious teaching. You can be sincere and be taught wrong. So we need not only be sincere, we have to be following the truth. God wants those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. We'll be sincere and following the truth. We'll get more, say more about that later. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. How about Apollos? I believe some today are like Saul of Tarsus, some today are like Cornelius, and some today are like Apollos, who are very close to the truth, but just need a little gentle correction. Let me read Acts 18, 24 through 26. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Let me pause there for a minute. I'll read the rest of this in a minute. Here we have a guy named Apollos. He's eloquent. He's a good speaker. He's trying to, you know, teach God's word the best he knows how. It says he's mighty in the scriptures. If you want to be a good Bible teacher, you need to be mighty in the scriptures. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in the spirit, which means he was zealous. He taught diligently the things of the Lord. But it says, knowing only the baptism of John. If he only knew the baptism of John, his knowledge was close but incomplete. Let me finish the reading. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Apollos is so close to the truth. As I said, zealous, instructed in the way of the Lord, teaching diligently the things of the Lord, but he only knew the baptism of John. So Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and taught him the way of God more perfectly. There's probably a lot of people in the listening audience like Apollos. They're sincerely trying to follow God's word, but their knowledge is incomplete. It's off by some degree because maybe a false teacher has led them astray. People like Apollos, who are very sincere and religious, but they're not quite following the truth, need to make a change and start following the truth. And he did. Apollos did. A sincere person, when he's confronted with the truth, will make a change. Some are like Apollos, who, who needed gentle correction. And then there's some who probably were taught by Apollos, at least maybe, 
And because they had been taught by Apollos before he learned the complete truth or somebody like Apollos, they were baptized unscripturally. Let me read about these Ephesians in Acts 19, 1 through 5. Paul came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what's going on here? Why do these folks need to be rebaptized? Well, here's what I think the text is trying to say. You know, when John the Baptist was preaching, when he was alive, for example, he taught the Messiah is coming. And then he baptized people based upon that belief for the remission of sins. They received the remission of sins when they were baptized based upon their belief that the Messiah was coming. And that was fine while John was preaching. But later now, now John's dead. Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. We know who it is. It's Jesus Christ. He's died. He's been resurrected. Now, according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, you've got to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Not just that the Messiah is coming, but that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's been raised from the dead. So if somebody now, after all that's happened, gets baptized based upon a belief, John's baptism, based upon a belief that the Messiah is coming, after Jesus has already come, died and been resurrected from the dead, that belief is not adequate anymore. It may have been, you know, some years before that, but it wasn't adequate then. So here's some people that have been evidently baptized based upon that outdated belief that the Messiah was coming. Again, that would have been fine and dandy at one point when the Messiah was coming, but after Jesus has come, we know who the Messiah is and he died and resurrected. You got to not only just believe the Messiah is coming, you got to believe Jesus is the Messiah and you got to believe that Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Here's some people that were baptized based upon that old antiquated belief and so their baptism wasn't scriptural. So they got rebaptized, as the text says in Acts 19, 1 through 5. I suspect there's a number of people in our listening audience tonight that have been baptized, maybe even immersed as believers, but their baptism is unscriptural. Like these people were immersed as believers, but their baptism was unscriptural because they had been baptized based upon a wrong belief. What about people who get baptized, but are baptized thinking they're already saved? Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That says that you don't get the remission of sins until you're baptized. And not only that, it, it says you're, that's the reason you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. So people who think they're already saved before they get baptized, then they're not going to get baptized for the remission of sins because they think they already got it. So they're never going to be baptized for the remission of sins if they think they already got it. So have they done what Acts 2.38 says? No, they've never been baptized for the remission of sins. They've been immersed as believers. But because they thought they were saved at the point of faith, and then they got baptized later, they never got baptized for the remission of sins. So they haven't obeyed Acts 2.38 to get the remission of sins, to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can't get the remission of sins unless you get baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Here's an example in Acts 19 of some people who were religious, but they needed to make the change. They had been baptized, but they had not been baptized scripturally. 
they didn't get all defensive about it. When they learned the truth, they got rebaptized this time with the right belief in mind. So we don't need to get defensive about it. We need just to realize our baptism was unscriptural and we need to get baptized again or baptized scripturally for the first time. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Now, let me move on. Some today in our listening audience may be worshiping God on a regular basis, but they're not worshiping God according to his instructions. Let's go back to the Old Testament as an illustration to make that point. I'm reading from Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 about Nadab and Abihu. It says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now, this is in the Old Testament. And we're not under the Old Testament law anymore. So we're not going to learn from this how to worship God. I mean, the New Testament never tells us to burn incense to worship God. But here's what we can learn from this. Nadab and Abihu were worshiping God here in Leviticus 10, but they weren't worshiping God the way God specified. Was God pleased or displeased? He was displeased, wasn't he? They were worshiping God, but not the way God specified, so God was displeased. Here's what we can learn from that. In the New Testament era, we not only need to worship God, but we need to worship God the way he specified, the way he's directed, or God is going to be displeased. You see that? Robert from Colorado, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I'm a little confused here because there were two men on the cross, one on each side of Jesus, and one of the guys said to Jesus, remember me when you go to heaven. And Jesus said to that guy, surely you'll be with me in paradise. The thief, and he said on the cross, he belongs to be crucified, but Jesus didn't. He heard about Jesus. He knew about Jesus, but he never got around to getting baptized. And Jesus said to him, surely you'll be with me today in paradise. And he didn't get baptized, but he went to heaven. Yeah, for the same reason that Adam and Eve, Moses, Noah, Abraham, they never got baptized. And they could go to heaven without being baptized. Their law never said to be baptized. The thief lived under the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law didn't require baptism. This New Testament law that requires baptism didn't go into effect until after the death of Christ. But when Jesus came, he died, and then there was no more. We don't live by the Old Testament. So that guy died with the Old and the New Testament. But he actually died with the New Testament because Jesus probably died before he did. Yeah, so so, I'm, I'm glad to hear your discussion, but what you just said is not true. The thief lived under the Old Testament law. The New Testament law that requires baptism didn't go into effect until Acts chapter 2, about 50 days after Jesus and the thief died. Hebrews 9, 16 and 17 says, Where a testament is, is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Now, that's applied to Jesus. So this New Testament law, Robert, that requires baptism didn't go into effect until long after the thief died, many days. I mean, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, the Great Commission, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That was a bunch of days, 40 or 50 days after the thief died. You follow me? 
Okay. Thief, okay. Not really, thief, but I'll do some more the, research. Okay. The thief didn't have to be baptized because the law that says a person has to be baptized to be saved didn't come along till later. After Jesus died, after Jesus was resurrected, after actually after Jesus left this earth, and then in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, that's when this new law went into effect. Let me read to you, Robert. Acts 2, verse 47, it's, it's one of the accounts of the Great Commission. It says in that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So this new law went into effect beginning at Jerusalem, which would be referring to Acts chapter 2, when the apostles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and started preaching the gospel for the first time. Does that make sense? Something to think about, isn't it, Robert? I mean, something to think about it. I mean, if Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, then, then that means a person has to believe and be baptized to be saved. So that means if the thief living under the New Testament law, he'd have to be baptized to be saved. Well, how could he be saved? Because he didn't live under the New Testament law. I mean, you're not going to have one passage contradict another passage. And Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, that was 40 or 50 days after the thief died, and that didn't go into effect until the day of Pentecost, about 50 days after the thief died. Jesus, Peter said by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, on the day of Pentecost, as we just read, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So that's what people have to do today. People today can't be saved like the thief. He lived under a different law than we live under today. We live under the law of Christ. The thief on the cross lived under the law of Moses. The law of Christ says repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. The law of Christ told Saul of Tarsus, remember we read this earlier, this Jew who's persecuting Christians, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. That's clear. There's no way to get around that. I don't know why anybody would want to get around it, but it clearly says that a person receives, his sins are washed away when he's baptized. It's, nobody's questioning the fact it's the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. When does the blood of Christ wash away our sins? Acts twenty two sixteen says it occurs when we're baptized. That was at least three days after Saul of Tarsus believed. And then 1 Peter three twenty one says baptism doth also now save us. I don't think God would say that baptism saves us if one didn't have to be baptized to be saved. No, the Bible is clear. you got to be baptized to be saved. The thief on the cross doesn't negate that because the thief lived under a law, the same law that Abraham and Moses and, uh, and Joshua, all those people lived under a law previous to the New Testament law, the law of Christ, which teaches a person has to be baptized. They didn't have to be baptized. The thief didn't have to be baptized. Their law never told them they had to be baptized. Just like their law never told them to eat the Lord's Supper. We do the Lord's Supper to remember Jesus' death. That doesn't make any sense to do that under Old Testament times. He hadn't died yet. How can you remember his death if he hadn't died yet? So some today may be worshiping God, but not worshiping God according to his instructions. And John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word defines for us what the truth is. So if we're going to worship God in truth, that means we're going to worship God according to the direction of his word, the Bible, in particular for us, the New Testament law. 
worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit means with the right attitude. What if a person's doing everything right, but he's doing it for the wrong reason? Maybe he's worshiping God and serving God or going to church because he's trying to please a young lady that he's interested in, not because he's trying to please God. He's maybe worshiping God, at least in, a, in truth, in a way, but he's not doing it in spirit with the right attitude. You got to worship God in spirit and in truth. And I suspect there's a lot of people listening tonight that worship with church churches that they just think as long as we're worshiping God, it really doesn't matter how. We can worship God any old way we want to, and God is going to be pleased. And so they worship God every Sunday, but they never bother to find out how God tells them to worship in the New Testament. They're, they end up being like Nadab and Abihu, who worship God, but not according to the way God specifies. So God is going to be displeased. If you'd like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. 